Here on Tomorrow's World, we are concerned about your future. And we often discuss Bible prophecy, otherwise known as history in advance. The Bible accurately predicts what is going to happen before it does. You've no doubt heard of the Bible, and maybe you have a copy sitting on a shelf in your home. You may have read some of it, but few have any understanding of its message, and fewer still realize how much prophecy it contains for our day and the days immediately ahead of us. Do you realize, for example, that somewhere between one-fourth and one-third of the Bible is devoted to prophecy? And much of that is for our time today. Do you realize that it actually predicts what is going to happen in our world over the next five to 25 years? The world was stunned at the end of 1989 by the sudden collapse of the Soviet Union and the fall of the Berlin Wall. Most of the world was equally shocked at the speedy reunification of Germany less than a year later. Yet not everyone was surprised as this editorial in the Hendersonville, Tennessee Free Press explained on December the 7th, 1989. Like a great many Americans, I have been watching the current political situation in East Germany with interest. While many have expressed surprise at the recent events and at East German cries for reunification of East and West Germany, I have to admit I haven't been too surprised by these events. The reason I haven't been particularly surprised is that for years I have occasionally read the publications of the late Herbert W. Armstrong. Armstrong predicted that the Berlin Wall would someday come down and the two German states would once again reunite into a powerful nation. I too listened to the late Herbert W. Armstrong and took university level classes under him. I've watched for more than five decades one prediction after another take place. As early as 1952, he predicted that the two Germanys, divided after the end of the war, would someday reunite and that Russia will be forced to relinquish her control over Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and parts of Austria. That has happened, just as he predicted. But how did he know? How could he know? The answers are found in the pages of the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. The average person has no idea what the Bible reveals about mankind's future. But you can know. You need to know. Stay tuned. A warm welcome to Tomorrow's World, and I especially welcome those of you who are joining us for the first time. On today's program, we are going to see how Bible prophecy has accurately foretold past events centuries in advance, and how its prophecies for the near future are just as sure. So let's get started. There are three strange beasts mentioned in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. All are related in some way, but all three are different 
and all three have something to do with events that are beginning to happen right before our very eyes. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast." Now that's a strange beast indeed, and we could have a lot of fun speculating and come up with all kinds of wild ideas about what it represents. But if we look to the Bible, we'll see that its symbols explain themselves. Revelation gives a timeline of Bible prophecy. It completes many other biblical prophecies that are to take place at the end time. The end time does not refer to the end of the world, but it refers to the end of man's misguided rule and the return of Jesus Christ to set up a kingdom of peace and harmony on this troubled planet. According to Scripture, mankind will come to the point where He will destroy all life from this earth except for the return of Christ to stop it. And this beast of Revelation has a lot to do with the turmoil that is coming. To understand this beast, we have to go back to the book of Daniel, where we read in the second chapter about a dream the Chaldean king Nebuchadnezzar had. It troubled him greatly, and he summoned all the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and wise men to explain it to him. But how could he know whether it was a true explanation? They could make up just about anything, as modern astrologers and soothsayers do. He had a simple test. If one of the wise men could tell him what his dream was, he could also trust that the interpretation of the dream was true. Finally, the prophet Daniel came forward, and God revealed to Daniel both the dream and its interpretation. You, O king, were watching, and behold a great image. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. If we were left to ourselves, we would have many interpretations, but God tells us what it means and it is intimately connected to our beast in Revelation. Here is God's explanation as given through His prophet Daniel, beginning in verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. You are this head of gold, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. We see that Nebuchadnezzar's Chaldean, or Babylonian Empire, was represented by the head of gold. 
History tells us that it was overthrown by the Medes and Persians in 539 BC. This was symbolized by the image's chest and arms of silver. This empire was in turn overthrown by the Greco-Macedonian Empire at the hands of Alexander the Great. This third empire was represented by the bronze belly and thighs. And history then shows that the iron legs of the image represent none other than the mighty Roman Empire. Now all these empires have come and gone. Or have they? A closer look at this prophecy reveals that it spans a time from Nebuchadnezzar in the 6th century BC all the way down to the end of this present age. Let's read a little further about this king's dream and what the final outcome will be, beginning in verse 34. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Here again the Bible comes to our rescue and explains what the stone that was cut out without hands represents and what it does. Verse 44, And in the days of these kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In other words, this fourth kingdom will continue in one form or another all the way down to the time of the coming of the Messiah, the second coming of Jesus Christ, who will set up a real kingdom on this earth that will not be overthrown. That future time was what we call tomorrow's world, the name of this program. It will be a time when people will live together in harmony. It will not come about by man's efforts, but in spite of them. It will not come about through some guru emerging from a desert cave, a charismatic leader standing up in some political party, or by any other human effort. That glorious kingdom is described in many biblical passages. But let me refer to just one that describes what it will be like at the beginning of Christ's rule. Isaiah the second chapter and in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. Understanding the four kingdoms described in Nebuchadnezzar's dream 
is one key to identifying the beast of Revelation, but it alone is not enough. Another vision in the book of Daniel fills in more details. In chapter 7 we find that Daniel had a dream or vision of four beasts coming up out of the sea. For the sake of time we'll only read the bare essentials. Let's begin in verse 4 where Daniel describes what he saw in his dream. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth, and it had ten horns. We are told that this dream came to Daniel in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, sometime in the 550s B.C. This was still during the time of the first kingdom as described in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now what does the Bible tell us these beasts represent? Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So here we have four kings or kingdoms, the last of which ends when it is destroyed and the kingdom of God is set up on the earth. Clearly these are the same four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar's dream described that rise up out of the Middle East and Mediterranean regions. And again the fourth kingdom continues down to the time of the return of Jesus Christ when He sets up His kingdom. In the vision we see that the fourth beast is different from all the others and has ten horns. Now let's compare these four beasts of Daniel with the beast of Revelation 13. John saw in a vision or dream a single beast rising up out of the Mediterranean Sea. This beast has seven heads and has some of the same characteristics as Daniel's four beasts. John's single beast has the body of a leopard, feet like that of a bear, and the mouth of a lion. These were the exact beasts Daniel saw representing Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greco-Macedonia. If we count the number of heads on Daniel's beast, we come to seven. Remember that Daniel's third beast had four heads. We have the same kind of animals, the same number of heads, and they continue down to the time of Christ's return. Daniel saw the future from the time of the Babylonian Empire, the first beast. The next three had not yet risen. But John writes at the end of the first century A.D. during the time of the Roman Empire or the fourth beast. In other words, Daniel's four beasts have now become one, sharing the greatest strengths of each. We have a composite beast. Daniel's four beasts wrapped up into one. Now consider this. It is this fourth beast that is supposed to continue down to the time of Christ's return. But the Roman Empire ceased to exist in 476 A.D. Does this mean that Bible prophecy has failed? Not at all. 
if anything, as we shall see, it proves the accuracy of Bible prophecy. Here's how. Revelation 13, verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Since the first three of Daniel's beasts had passed into history when John wrote this, it is evident that the head with the deadly wound that is healed must be the Roman Empire, and indeed that is what we learn from history. In 554 A.D., Justinian restored the Roman Empire, thus healing the deadly wound. There were four more restorations following Justinian. Let's look at each one. The Imperial Restoration of Justinian in 554, the Carolinian Empire of Charlemagne in 800, the Holy Roman Empire of Otto the Great in 962, the Habsburg Dynasty of Charles V in 1530, and Napoleon's Empire, which lasted from 1804 to 1814. From the time of Justinian to the end of Napoleon's Empire, we have five restorations over a period of 1260 years. These are historical facts. Now what does John tell us in Revelation 13 and verse 5? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. The term month comes from the word moon, and the average length of time it takes the moon to travel around the earth is 29 and a half days. We find that in the Bible a prophetic month is rounded off to 30 days. So 42 months of 30 days equals 1260 days. The Bible also sometimes uses what we call a day for a year principle. In other words, a day is equal to a year. Ezekiel 4 verse 6, And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side, then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid on you a day for each year. So when the beast whose head received a deadly wound was healed, he then continued forty-two months. This would prophetically be either 1260 literal days, three and a half years, or using the biblical day for a year principle, 1260 years. And that is exactly the length of time from Justinian's imperial restoration of 554 to Napoleon's fall in 1814. Here again we find history confirming Bible prophecy. But this is not the end of the story. There is another beast found in Revelation 17, and this is where it really becomes interesting. No longer do we have to look at ancient history. Revelation 17 brings us up to the present and the time just ahead of us. This prophecy is about the judgment of a great whore and a beast that she rides. But this is not about an individual woman. The Bible often uses a woman to symbolize a church. An example of this is found in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, where Paul is discussing the roles of men and women in marriage. 
Then he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. But in Revelation 17, we find a fallen woman representing an immoral church, riding and controlling a seven-headed beast that will eventually fight against Jesus Christ when He returns. This beast of Revelation 17 is related to, but not the same beast of Revelation 13. Remember the earlier beast had seven heads representing Babylon, Medo-Persia, the four-headed Greco-Macedonian Empire, and Rome. Rome's head had a deadly wound, but it was healed in 554 A.D. under Justinian and was followed by four more restorations for a total of five over a period of 1260 years. This later beast had seven heads, but unlike the beast of Revelation 13, this later beast is controlled by an immoral church. This, in effect, is an eighth beast, as Revelation 17:11 tells us. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. So exactly what does this beast represent? Can we know, or are we left to speculate? The answer, once again, is that God explains His symbols. The explanation begins in Revelation, the 17th chapter, and verse 7. But the angel said to me, Why did you, meaning John, marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel when they see the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. We are then told that the seven heads represent seven mountains on which the woman sits. This has a dual application. The fallen woman literally sits within the seven-hilled city of Rome. But a mountain in prophecy represents a king or government. Let's continue with verses 9 and 10. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. From 554 to 1814, a powerful church ruled over five kings who restored the Roman Empire. John is viewing this beast from that time. Sometime after 1814, there would be an empire that is not generally recognized as a Roman Empire, one that is not and yet is. He would be viewing the sixth restoration upon which the fallen woman sits. John O'Gwen, in his booklet, The Beast of Revelation, describes this sixth restoration. 
Finally, in 1929, Mussolini signed the Lateran Treaty with the Papacy, which established papal sovereignty over Vatican City and made Mussolini's government the first Italian government in modern history to be recognized officially by the Pope. The Concordat signed between the Papacy and Italy's fascist government was a prelude to one signed four years later between the Papacy and the German Nazi government. This is all past history, but it does set the stage for what lies just ahead. 1989 marked the shocking collapse of the Soviet Union. While the world stood stunned at the swift changes in Europe, students of the Bible were not caught off guard. God's Holy Bible revealed what would happen millennia in advance. Chapter 17 goes on to tell us there is yet to be a seventh empire rising up in Europe that will be united by this woman. Ten nations or groups of European nations will give their power over to the beast for a short time. At first it will appear that this union of church and state will bring about a certain peace and prosperity, but the end will bring about anything but peace. The world will again be stunned, but you can know ahead of time by understanding the biblical prophecy of the beast of Revelation. To learn more about this final resurrection of the beast and the woman who rides it, please go to our website that will be shown momentarily to read or download John O'Gwyn's booklet, The Beast of Revelation, Myth, Metaphor, or Soon Coming Reality. This beast is as sure to rise up as that of the sun each day, and when it does, it will affect your life, no matter where you live. And so will the woman who rides this beast. You need to know what the Bible tells us about the days just ahead of us. So go to our website to learn more about this beast of Revelation. And be sure to join us again next week, right here at Tomorrow's World. See you then. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.